Wow, what an amazing place to be. <clears throat> it's just such a privilege to be among you all. Um, I was just thinking, you know, when you're so caught up in the worship that you forget you're going to be speaking. <laughs> <laughs> That's really special. You know, the presence of God was just so real. Yeah. So actually, I just want to ask, so Steve said that, that God was healing people. Can you just put up a hand if, thank you, something's happening, okay. People, things shifting in people's bodies. Any more? Three or four, another one over there. Okay, isn't that great? The presence of God is here. And where God is, his power is, and his heart is for us. Okay, so if you've got something wrong in your body and you've not yet seen a shift, expect that shift through the rest of today. God doesn't just heal during worship and ministry. He can heal when someone's speaking. <laughs> because actually, some say that um, he sent forth his word and he healed them. So actually, as we let the word of God impact our hearts, everything begins to shift. So let's just expect um, that God will work in our hearts now. Because um, not me, it's not about me. In fact, the greatest privilege would be if in a year's time someone says, oh, do you remember back on, on that, that day in February? God really changed me. I've got no idea who was speaking, but God did something. <laughs> That's what we want. That's what we want. So, um, did, did anybody watch that um, series called Spooks? There are quite a few people who watched that. Yeah, okay. Um, there was just one scene from that, that that really impacted me at the time and came back to me as I started to think about well, what does God want to say. And I can't remember all about it, but I think there were a couple of submarines with some <clears throat> very nasty bombs on them that were going to go up and they were being remotely controlled to go up and to Parliament and then they were going to blow up there and take out our democracy and all the rest of it. And the way the spooks had to deal with it was that they were going to, they decided they would release this electromagnetic pulse that would just go boom across London and everything would get taken out. So the submarines would go, the, all their mechanics would go, the bombs would stop, they wouldn't work anymore, all the mobile phones would go and everything else would go, which was unhelpful, but it took out the bad stuff. And as I watched that on the television, that you could, they just did the CGI stuff really well. It was this sort of ripple that went out under the surface of London um, and I felt God speaking. I felt him saying, I'm raising up a grassroots revival. There's many, many young people, and when you're my age, most people are young people. <laughs> There's many, many young people who are almost an unseen, in one sense, move of God that are going to transform and actually save this nation. Okay. A radical unstoppable army of young people demonstrating Jesus really well in word and in power. That ripple is going out. It's going to disarm the enemy. I felt him saying that in previous revivals you've had a, one or more key leaders who've been the focal point, but that actually this time, of course leaders are important. We love you, Stephen Viv. <coughs> but, but I felt him saying there's this grassroots revival and actually it's going to be unstoppable because it is across the grassroots. I think it's going to work through social media as well when we get to learn how to use social media positively. <laughs> um, 
so, this grassroots wave of people. And I think God wants to start this morning by saying, you are part of that army. He wants to affirm you this morning. That is who you are. Now, I don't know whether you feel it or not, but we know that feelings are the least reliable indicator of truth that we have. (laughs) So you may not feel you're part of the army, but he, God in heaven, is saying, yes, you are. You are part of the army. So let's just agree with that before we begin. So I've got a little thing we can declare together up here. Okay. I agree that I have right now, through Jesus Christ, the miracle-working, yoke-destroying, burden-breaking, resurrection power of God in my life. Okay? How does that sound? I think we might do it again, actually. (laughs) We might do it again because I think that actually God, there's some of us here where God is going to switch a switch on as we read that. We're actually going to go, oh my goodness, that's true. It's going to drop from head to heart. Okay, let's just try it again. I agree that I have right now, through Jesus Christ, the miracle-working, yoke-destroying, burden-breaking, resurrection power of God in my life. Okay, that's good. That's who we are. Okay. But actually, I was asked if I'd speak on holiness. (laughs) So how does that tie in? It ties in because... I just want to encourage you, I want to urge you, don't lose your fire. Don't lose your fire. Be ready to stand out against our culture. Not against in a negative way. Stand out as different from our culture. Why might you lose the fire? Because there is a fear across so many churches that if we deal with the really tough issues in our culture that we will lose people for Christ. I've heard had leaders say to me, If we deal with these issues, we will lose a generation for Christ. I want to say that is an absolute tragic lie from hell. That is not true. If we don't deal with these issues, we will lose a generation for Christ. We have to deal with the tough issues. This is a church where you're doing that. That is so great. I want to encourage you, don't lose the fire. Stay there. Take on the tough issues. Work with biblical standards. God is going to use that mightily. Yeah. Okay. I'll keep an eye on the clock, working out what I can and can't say. <laughs> I'm going to be good. Um, <coughs> um, many of you I know have been to David's tent because you did a big push for it um, last year and you had a great camp all camping together, which was, was brilliant. In the run-up to David's tent last year, as I was thinking about this issue of us losing our fire, and, and hearing some church leaders saying they couldn't address key issues. My mind just started to focus in on what I felt was a call to holiness, that God is wanting to raise up a revival of holiness, without which, Hebrews tells us, no one can see the Lord. So it's kind of important. The day before the event started, Um, I was allowed to go on site. I love that, going the day before. There's nobody else there. And you can go into the tent and you can lie on the ground in the the grass, probably the wet grass, and you just worship. 
and praise and the presence of God is just in the tent powerfully, even though there's nobody else there. And I was just on my face, just worshipping and praying. And, and then I looked up and, and the tent was quite dark and, and the sun was streaming in through a door. So if we go to the next picture, I just saw the sun streaming and I felt God saying, yeah, it's my holiness. And I took the picture and then as I looked at the picture, I noticed there was a ladder beside the door. And I just said, you know that sense when you know God's trying to say something, but you've got no idea what it is. And I was going, God, what are you, what are you trying to say? What is it you're trying to communicate? And I just heard the words after a while, come up higher. Come up higher. He's made a way for us to come into his presence. The ladder is there. He's made a way. We can go up into his holiness, into his presence, because of what Jesus has done. So there's a call to holiness, a call to come up higher, a call to come into his presence, into fullness of life. So at the end of the event, I was asked if I'd share something from the stage, and I'd just put a very simple question. I said, what do you think would happen if all of us, all 5,000 of the people at Davis Tent, if all of us chose for this next year to pursue God's definition of holiness, not the government's, not our cultures, not our friends, but God's definition, what might happen? And among the people who were listening was Stephen Viv, and that's why I'm here this morning. As they said, come and talk some more about it. So here are a few thoughts. Um, first of all, I'm a fellow traveller. The more I've looked at this, the more conscious I am. I'm absolutely not standing here saying, I've got this one sussed, look at me, okay? I'm a fellow traveller. Um, and then within that context, I want to look at what I think are three massive misunderstandings about holiness that we need to address. The first uh, really may not thrill you at all, um, and the second and third, I hope, will, so I'm doing them in that order. <laughs> okay, so the first one is holiness is not just about sexual issues. I think we've branded holiness in this very narrow way. Does that matter? Oh, absolutely it matters. Definitely that matters. But holiness is way wider than that. So I've just looked at this passage we all know from Galatians 5, the fruit, well, we know the nice bit, the fruit of the spirit. Um, the other bit is the fruit of the flesh. And I divided it up because I think it gives us a bit of an understanding of where God's holiness sits. We don't have an issue looking at the left-hand column and saying those things are unholy. We'd all be in agreement on that. We don't have an issue looking at the right-hand column there's the fruit of the Spirit and saying those things are all holy. After all, it's the Holy Spirit. The problem is that actually we've put a whole bunch of stuff in the middle that in Scripture is unholy and has to go. Discord. We get quite comfortable with discord. It just happens. That's just who I am. I just don't get on with them. Jealousy. Well, I mean, why shouldn't I be jealous? They've had an easy life. I haven't. That's okay. Rage. Well, they jolly well cut me up on the road. Of course I'm going to hoot at them and get angry. 
<coughs> selfish ambition, but don't you realise my dad was poor? I need that better job. I need the promotion. I, I, I have to have it. Dissension. I didn't think Steve's talk was very good last week. <laughs> Dissension, you know? I wasn't here. That's not a comment on his talk last week. <laughs> Factions, envy, drunkenness. Actually, do you know, we've got kind of comfortable with those. That's where our culture is. It's not where God is. God is on the right-hand side. And I think this little, there's a little test at the bottom which I think helps us see what is holy, what is unholy. If I say that every encounter I have needs to be redemptive. Yeah. So I'm chatting with Steve afterwards. How is that redemptive? Because if I'm sitting in envy or rage, it's not going to be redemptive. But if I'm sitting in love and peace, it is. So I think that's quite a good plumb line, if you like. Every encounter needs to be redemptive. That's a very high calling. So that's the first thing, that we've defined holiness way too narrowly, and we've lost a whole bunch of stuff that actually is unholy that God wants us to deal with. And conversely, we've lost the opposite. And I'm just going to go slightly rabbit trailish here, but John 17, Jesus says that he prays that the disciples would walk in unity so that the world would know that God had sent him. So how do we allow dissension, envy, jealousy? We're doing the very thing that Jesus was praying we wouldn't do. He was saying if we walk well together, if every connection is redemptive, the world is going to say Jesus must be real. Isn't that amazing? So... So we've lost the plot, I think, by misdefining the, the boundaries of holiness. Okay, the two encouraging ones. Secondly, we've come to believe that holiness is a painful, life-denying cost of discipleship. It's just, you know, it's part of the deal. The rest of those guys who didn't commit their lives to Christ, they can have fun, but I can't. Hence the fear of addressing it. Because I'm going to have to tell you that you're going to be robbed of life if you really follow Jesus. I mean, that is a load of rubbish, and we have to bin that. Holiness is the doorway to seeing God. It's really, really good. It's a call from the one who said he came to bring us fullness of life. He also calls us to be holy. It's the splendor, the atmosphere in which we're called to worship. It's actually who he is. So if we refuse to talk about holiness, we actually refuse our friends a genuine encounter with God because it's part of who he is. So what does holiness mean? Let's look at the Hebrew word. It means to be set apart, to be cut off. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be set apart from all the fun. <clears throat> no. Let's, let's lose that. I'm not being set apart from something. I'm being set apart for something. Or actually, I'm being set apart for someone. Let's redefine this. Let's recognize what this is about is God in his grace is calling me to be set apart from everything that damages or detracts from my walk with him. Ah, now holiness becomes really exciting. Oh, you mean, God, you are calling me to get rid of that stuff because if I get rid of that, I have a closer relationship with you. Ah. 
So this, this feeling that's got around that holiness is, is life-destroying, we have to just bust that and go, no, no, no. We're set apart to see God. We're set apart to walk free of everything and anything that holds us back from God's best. Ephesians says God saved us out of his great love for us. It's because he knows a better way. He knows what will make us thrive. If you look from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, the story of scripture is God's passion to see us thrive. So if he says, don't do that, it's not because he wants he's a killjoy. It's because he knows there's a different way that's going to cause us to thrive. So the same God who calls us to be holy invites us to enjoy life in all its fullness, John 10.10. 10. The same God who says that in his presence, his fullness of joy also calls us to holy living. There is no contradiction. And if we've taken on a belief structure that says there's a contradiction, we need to have another think, change what we believe. Or Titus 3, I love this passage, Titus 3, 3 to 8. There's a beautiful flow. You were trapped in passions and desires that weren't helpful. Out of God's incredible kindness and love, i.e. he was being nice to us in saving us from it, out of his incredible kindness and love, he saved us. He forgave us. He washed us with the Holy Spirit. Why? So we could be co-heirs with him. That's the goal. Now, if we can keep our eyes on the horizon and we know where we're going, letting go of the short-term apparent pleasure, which God says isn't actually really a pleasure, becomes much more straightforward. So let's just agree with this on the next slide. Just making you do a few little bits of work on the way through. We can just declare jointly together, thank you, Lord, that you call me to walk in holiness because you want the very best for me and you want me to thrive. Can we just take 30 seconds to ponder that? Just focus on that. Let's let the lies fall away. And as I got to this point, as I was preparing, I felt God just say that he wants to say to us all, if you knew the depth and the enormity of my love for you, you would never question that my passion, my heart, is for you to thrive. I want you to know the love I have for you. I want you to experience that love. I want you to encounter me. So I want to suggest you just take a moment and ask God to show you something that you haven't yet seen about what that real encounter would look like. Father, we pray that you'd just give us all a revelation, a picture, an understanding, a word of what real relationship with you looks like.
Okay, so we've <coughs> defined holiness too narrowly. It's, it's much wider than we realized. We've realized that it's not bad news, it's really good news. Now, the really good news <coughs> is the third thing we got wrong, which is that we tend to sit in an Old Testament understanding of holiness. Because if I was to say to you, quote me a verse on holiness, you would say probably, I'm holy, be holy. Old Testament, okay. You would see it as a command, you shall be holy, because I, the Lord, am holy. Or, I don't know, I would. That's not the New Testament picture, and this is unbelievably exciting. <clears throat> In the New Testament, we're absolutely called to walk out our holiness, but our starting point is totally transformed because of Jesus. We're walking out something that he has already won for us. Living a holy life in the New Testament is about choosing to walk in who I really am. We've made it about our effort. That's the lie. It's actually about resting back on the victory he won on the cross when he set me free. Going back to Titus, he set us free from those passions and desires. The chains have been cut off. I'm actually free to walk out a holy life. So we see it as a command to be holy. I'm here, I'm really no good. I need to be up there in holiness. That is not the New Testament picture. Colossians 3, Paul says, you're God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Oh, you are holy. Just like Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He didn't say you need to become it. He said you are that. 2 Corinthians, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our nature and destroyed it so that we could take his nature and live in it. Isn't that amazing? That we become the righteousness of God. He reconciled you to present you holy. We've been made holy through the sacrifice of Jesus. I love this. Once for all. Done deal. Boom. Jesus died to make the people holy through his blood. You are a holy nation. You are a holy nation. This is who we are. So we need to lose this thing that we're being called from the terrible place we are to, to try and climb this greasy pole towards holiness and realize, no, Jesus did that for us. That's who we are. Now we're called to walk out the truth of our identity in our daily lives. So in the New Testament, holiness is first a position, not first a behavior. I think that's the key. If we see who we are, actually it just gets so exciting, the behavior is going to follow. It's not a future goal. It can be a present reality. I'm not trying to achieve it. I'm trying to walk in what Jesus has already achieved for me. So, where do we go from here? I have two suggestions. First, I need to choose to believe what God says about me, not what I think about me. Why? Because the biggest thing that separates me from really enjoying full fellowship with him is not understanding who I really am. I would suggest, as I've thought about it, that most, if not all, addictions are rooted in not knowing I'm loved. 
In other words, I don't know who I really am. If I really, really, really know, as I feel God is wanting to say to us this morning, if we really, really, really know how much he loves us, we don't need to hide any feelings of unlovedness under drink or drugs, whatever it is, because we'll rest back in the arms of the Father, knowing we're valued and precious and safe. Looking at it the other way around, if I think I'm unworthy, I won't pursue him in the way that I might otherwise. If I think I'm a victim, I'm not going to be able to walk in victory. Actually, I'm a victor, not a victim. If I think I have no value, I'm not going to ask him to give me gifts. Why would he give me a gift? I mean, me, for goodness sake. No. If I think I'm useless, I'm not going to step out and give the Valentine's gifts to a refuge because, well, what have I got to offer? I've No. Get rid of all of that. <laughs> we need to take hold of who God says we are. If he says I'm valuable and I say I'm not valuable, guess who's right? <laughs> you know, this is not rocket science. <laughs> you know? If he says I'm loved, I'm loved, period. It doesn't matter what my feelings say. He's a higher authority than my feelings. So here's the challenge. I need to decide that I won't allow a thought in my mind about me that disagrees with what God says about me. I have to choose that no thought comes into my mind unchecked. If it doesn't align with what God says about me, it goes out again. That's the challenge. I need to decide I will not allow a thought in my mind about me that disagrees with God's view of me. So that's what I'm doing on my own. Now, we can have the next picture. You may wonder what on earth this picture's doing here, but I'll explain it. You've been looking through Ephesians. <clears throat> and you put on the whole armour of God. We're such an individualistic society that we assume that each of us is putting on our armour. But actually that is plural. You collectively, you're all, every one of us is putting on our armour. Now if I'm in Ephesus where Paul was, you know, sorry, he's writing to the Ephesians from Rome, I think. Um, what is actually going to come to their minds when he starts describing a Roman soldier putting on their armour? He's not going to think about an individual. The New Testament is not individualistic. It's about a body. He's going to think of this. This was called the Roman tortoise. And as you can see, shields around the outside and the middle people have shields over their head. Lances usually coming out of the front. It was pretty much invincible on the battlefield. Any single Roman soldier could be taken out. But when they formed this, they were basically invincible. The lone Christian is not a biblical concept. We do this together. And when I say that, I don't mean just physically. We're all here physically together. I mean our hearts connected. If you look at the redwoods in the Pacific, just by the you know, Pacific Ocean on the west coast of America, 
They're together, you can see above the surface, they're together in this redwood forest. But the reason they stand strong is that under the surface, all their roots are interconnected. Because actually the taproot only goes down six feet, even though the tree goes up 300 feet. They don't get blown over by the Pacific winds because they're connected. There's a carpet of interconnected roots. I think that's how I'm meant to live the Christian life. Our hearts connected to each other. That means vulnerability and honesty. So I think as well as choosing to believe what God says he thinks about me, I now need to find a group, find my fellow soldiers and take this decision to be radically and riskily honest and open with them and God is going to break in. When we lay our hearts down fully before God and each other, there's always breakthrough. So let's go back to that question in summing up. What would it look like if we spent the next year pursuing God's definition of holiness? What if we chose to believe that holiness will lead to fullness of life and to our thriving individually and together? What if we chose to believe that holiness has already been won for us my task is to rest in it and walk in it. What if we chose to believe that God currently sees us as holy? What if we chose to be vulnerable together and partner together to walk out this life of holiness and radical discipleship? I think we'll add fuel to the fire of that army of revivalists that transformed Balaam transforms Wandsworth, transforms London and beyond. So let's just pray and then go into communion. Yeah. Let's just leave that up there and you might want to use that as the basis for praying now. And indeed we can leave it up during communion. Father, I want to just come before you and say that I, I recognise I've taken on these lies. That holiness can seem a frightening and daunting and negative thing. And I just say that line goes. Father, I choose instead to take on and proclaim and declare and live in the truth that holiness brings me into fullness of life brings me into being the person I truly am. Lord, crazy as it may seem, I choose to believe that you've already won that for me. That I'm seated with you in the heavenly places, far above all this other stuff. I'm seated with you in a place of authority. I have your resurrection power alive in me thank you Lord and Lord I choose to be vulnerable to be honest to partner to walk out a life 
oh God, that becomes so compellingly attractive that those who don't know you say, tell me about this Jesus. God, that is our longing that we are so filled with you, that we so radiate you, that the world sees you and that we do it individually, we do it corporately. Amen.